Well, good morning to all of you. Uh, my name is Paul Mumaw, and I'm the lead pastor here at Genesis Church. And uh, we are continuing in a series that we've been in for a few weeks now uh, here at Genesis, a series that we're calling Hope in the Chaos. And uh, we're looking at a verse uh, that comes right out of the Old Testament book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, uh, which says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah predicted the birth of the Messiah or the Son of God. And living in a time of chaos, uh, the Jewish people uh, at this time, they were waiting for this Savior. And so Isaiah's prediction here, his prophecy, uh, really gives them a sneak peek of the one, of the Son of God who was to come. And well, what we've been doing, what we've been looking at these last few weeks together is how all four of these names used by Isaiah are fulfilled with the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, two weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus Christ is our wonderful counselor. Uh, that word wonderful means too great for words. It, it, it literally means it's indescribable. And because he's our wonderful counselor, uh, you can find comfort in Jesus. Uh, we have that peace, we have that confidence that you can go uh, before the Lord, that you can find comfort in Him, and He knows what you're going through. He is more than aware of what you're up against and what you're going through in your life. He, he, he knows the chaos that you face, and He's got the help uh, that you need, that I need. And, and so Jesus, what He does is He invites us to come. He, he points to Himself and He says, I'm the answer to what you need. I, I'm the answer and the hope for your chaos. And He says, so come to me. Uh, all you who are weary, uh, as you've got your burden, just come to me. And Jesus says, he promises our wonderful counselor that I will give you rest. Uh, last week, Steve, our Carmel campus pastor, was here and he talked about how Jesus, as Isaiah said, is also our mighty God. Uh, he's our all-knowing, all-present, and all-powerful God. And we look to Scripture uh, to see how God, what He'll do is He'll use His great uh, and mighty power in you, and He'll display this power for you and through you uh, in some incredible ways. And today we're talking about Jesus as the Everlasting Father. And this, of all the titles, is probably the one that's most personal to us because, well, it's personal in that Everlasting Father means family. Uh, it, it means family to us. And, and when you think about it, you know, that one title uh, or that one name is the title that separates Christianity from all the other religions on the planet. I mean, no other religion, uh, I mean, at least none that I'm aware of, portrays our God, God the Father, as a loving, gracious Father who loves you. Uh, and wants to be in a relationship with you. I mean, this everlasting Father that we learn about today is the one who pursues you. And so I think you can see how it's personal. Uh, it's personal to us. But I've also got to say that it can probably be the most troubling uh, of names for some people too, because for some people, the last thing they want is the image of another father. And if that's you, I mean, maybe for you, maybe your earthly father, maybe, well, he wasn't around all that much, or, or maybe he was around and you wished he wasn't, or uh, maybe your dad never accepted you, maybe he never encouraged you, uh, maybe never affirmed you. And so whenever someone refers to God as someone like a father, I mean, you can't see it, or, or maybe you would say you don't want to see it. Well, what I hope to do today is to change your opinion of that. 
And uh, what I've been praying is uh, that maybe before you walk out of here today that you will be encouraged in some new or fresh way or maybe your perspective uh, of our everlasting Father, Jesus Christ, will be changed uh, uh, in some great ways and it'll, it'll have everything to do with how maybe uh, God works about a new change in your life that you indeed can see that He is the hope uh, for the chaos. He is the hope uh, for anything that we may face. And it doesn't matter uh, how good um, or bad your relationship with your earthly father was. I mean, it doesn't matter uh, if you're here today and you would say that, you know what, I had a really good dad. Or, or even if you would be here and you would say, you know what, I had a bad dad. I mean, the truth is this, that your earthly father isn't uh, or wasn't perfect. And uh, he wasn't or will not always be there for you. I mean, your earthly father is just like mine. I mean, he, he's mortal and human and imperfect. But Jesus, he's our everlasting father and there is no one uh, quite like him. Now, if, if you're new today, um, or new to all this talk, uh, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, how, how, in the, how, how in the world does this happen? I mean, how, how can Jesus uh, be the everlasting Father? I mean, did He have kids? I mean, we're, we're obviously in a season of Christmas, and so we're, we're talking about Jesus as a baby, and then He grows up to be a man, but uh, this man that died on the cross, I mean, can, well, what does it mean? I mean, can I really call him my everlasting father? Well, the Apostle John says it like this in John chapter 1, verse 12. He says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, what I want to do with that verse before we go any further is say that um, right up front that I, I think it's important that we cross over a few hurdles uh, before we continue in this talk of Jesus as the everlasting Father. And the first hurdle's right here, and it has everything to do with what it means to say that you're a child of God. Um, you know, Jesus as our everlasting Father, what He does is He makes that possible. Um, he's our gift from God. And so John, the Apostle John, he just points to Jesus and he says, to all who receive him, uh, to those who believe in his name, he, that is Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. See, Jesus makes it possible for us to be in a relationship with God. Uh, Jesus is the only way to forgiveness. He makes a way for salvation. And that's not a gift that he forces on us in any way. I mean, you have to receive it, as John says. I mean, you've got to come to this place in your life where you say, you know what, I want to receive that gift. And I want to believe the promise of that truth and accept it for my life. And when you do, well, then you can say that you're a child of God. But there's a second hurdle, too, that I want to note here right up front, and I've got to be honest with you and tell you that this is one that I've kind of wrestled with all week, and it really has to do with the question of how can Jesus be our, our, the Son of God? How, how can He be Savior? But how can we also take time and refer to Him as somebody like Father? Well, over and over again in the Bible, it talks about how, you know, we see the Father at work, we see the Son, we see the Holy Spirit. Uh, sometimes we'll use the word Trinity uh, to describe those three persons. And the Bible talks about how they are three distinct persons. And, and we just got to say, and, and I have to say that whenever we talk about something like this, it's not a simple matter and it's easy to overcomplicate it. But I, let, let's not overcomplicate it today. I, I don't want to do that and I don't want you to do that either. And uh, because, you know, we even see it as the Apostle Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 8, 6. He says, hey, there's one God, right? There is one God overall, and, and so that's why. That's why we see Jesus praying in John 17. Jesus prayed. He says, Father, I've revealed you. I mean, basically, Jesus says, hey, here's what I've done. I've lived my life so that others will see you through me and know who you are. And even before this, uh, in John 14, Jesus was speaking to Philip, and he said, hey, if you've seen me, well, then you've seen the Father. 
And so as our, as our everlasting Father, Jesus shows us what God is like because He's God. I mean, as the Apostle Paul reminds us, He is God. And uh, if you want a good idea of what the everlasting Father is like, if you want a good idea of what God our Father is like, I mean, it's just so important that we look to Jesus. And it's even Isaiah who calls Him. He gives Him this title, our everlasting Father. But finally, there's a third hurdle too, and this is a hurdle that we'll, we just touched on. But for some of you, Seeing and understanding Jesus as everlasting Father, well, that can be a bit of a stretch. Um, because, again, maybe you're not encouraged by the title of everlasting Father because when you think Father, you don't think of someone who threw the football around with you. You know, you don't think of a loving Father like that. I mean, when you think Father, you think absent or maybe even abusive. Or we need to be careful not to see our everlasting Father as we see so many TV dads today, so many different TV personalities, because he's not Ward Cleaver, uh, he's not Homer Simpson, he's certainly not Phil Dunphy. I mean, Jesus isn't like any father we know. And that's why it's so important that our view and understanding of Jesus as our everlasting Father come from one source, the Bible, the Scriptures, God's Word for us. And when we look at the Bible, what do we see? Well, if you're taking notes, you want to write this down. We see and we discover that the everlasting Father is compassionate. He's not angry. He's a compassionate Father. I mean, if, you know, or, or when you think of your earthly Father, if you think of someone who is angry, you need to know that Jesus is not like that. He is compassionate. He's not angry. And He shows us what our God is like. It's like what David wrote in Psalm 145, verse 8, when he said, The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger and rich in love. You know, some of you, you might have grown up with a dad. You might have come home from a dad who was always angry or uh, maybe you, you kind of felt like you could never do anything right or when you think back on your childhood, I mean, it was all about punishment all the time. Maybe some of you endured some abuse in your home. That's not the picture we get of our everlasting father. I mean, more than 50 times in scripture, we read about a God who is compassionate he has compassionate for, compassion for his children. He is full of grace and rich in love. And even when we're at fault, he is ready to demonstrate this rich love for us. David wrote again in Psalm 103, verse 13, he says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Now, let's just insert here, having compassion doesn't mean that a father doesn't correct his children. I mean, in fact, correcting poor behavior can be one of the most compassionate things that you do. I mean, we all know of parents who refuse to tell their children no or maybe tell their children uh, no like 20 times without any sort of follow-through whatsoever. That's not compassion. While our everlasting Father is gracious and compassionate, what He does is He corrects and He'll rebuke too, but He does it lovingly and He does it compassionately and full of grace. You know, it was just a, a few weeks ago before all of this Arctic weather hit uh, that we were out one day in the yard kind of cleaning up things for the fall and getting ready for the winter and so tearing up all the flowers, one last, you know, mow of the yard, sweeping up, raking up all the leaves and uh, my, my boys, uh, my two boys were out helping me in the yard with some different projects and uh, so I, I was working on something and I had asked them to start carrying the patio uh, chairs from our, from our deck uh, out to the shed and so they started into that and I went around the side of the house and went to the front and was working on something else and just a few minutes went by when all of a sudden I heard a pow! 
And uh, I, I kind of wondered what it was at first. And so I, I kind of kept raking the leaves there in the front yard. And my son, Joel, came around the corner. He's like, um, Dad, uh, you, need, you need to come back here for a second. And so I could tell he was a little nervous, a little anxious. And then I'm thinking, okay, I just heard this loud bang. And so I, I walk around the house and I walk up onto the deck to discover that our glass patio table has shattered into about a million pieces. I mean, th there is nothing left over but dust from this table. And both of my boys are standing there wondering, what in the world have we just done? I mean, this table is obliterated. Now, I've got to tell you, that I don't have a temper, and I wish that I could tell you that I was compassionate and slow to anger all of the time. I'm not. I'm guilty, and I sin, and I mess up in these ways on different occasions, but thankfully, and in this particular moment, it was almost like I heard the still, small voice of God say to me, they're going to remember this moment for a really long time, you know, and so your reaction in this moment is going to be so important, and I was so thankful for his guidance in that moment and for the compassion that I was able to demonstrate in helping them realize, hey, it's okay, and evidently, when they were pulling the umbrella out of the table, I think it was trying to get that umbrella out of the center of the table that caused this table to go away forever. It was much easier to put away after that except for uh, all of the cleanup. But hey, here's, here's, he's, here's the beautiful thing about our, our, our everlasting Father. He is full of compassion at all times and in all seasons. I mean, think about the story of Peter. We see this great story of Jesus and Peter and how Jesus reinstated Peter. I mean, Peter denied Jesus three times. And following his resurrection, Jesus went to the Sea of Galilee and found Peter, and this important conversation followed. And it must have been a conversation that Peter knew was going to happen. I mean, this conversation is, once, is eventually going to happen. And during that conversation, Jesus asked a series of questions of Peter, and they were tough, pointed questions, and likely a little uncomfortable for Peter too. But even in them, Jesus demonstrated love and tenderness he demonstrated compassion in his correction. And by the end of their conversation, Jesus restored Peter to his place of leadership. See, that's what our God is like. The everlasting Father is gracious and compassion. He corrects, he rebukes, but when he does, he is slow to anger and rich in love. And those, those of us that come to him and we come before him humbly, I mean, we realize and experience this compassion in great and amazing ways. And what a beautiful thing. Man, what a beautiful thing to realize that no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've slipped or fallen in your life, no matter how great the chaos is that surrounds you right now, our everlasting Father is compassionate. He is slow to anger and rich in love. And as Psalm 103, 17 goes on to say, from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. The Lord's love is with those who come before him and come humbly, and they find one who is compassionate and slow to anger. There's another thing that we see as we look to Scripture. We see that the everlasting Father is loving and not distant. Um, Jesus, he provided a way back to God. I mean, he makes that possible. And as our everlasting Father, you could say that he is our life giver. I mean, he made your adoption, and he made my adoption into the family of God possible. Uh, the Apostle Paul gives us a picture of what our Father is like in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, when he writes and says, the Spirit, and that's God's presence living inside of his people. Paul says, the Spirit you received, and from looking at John a moment ago, we realize that we receive that Spirit when we trust, when we believe, when we receive the gospel message into our lives. He says, that Spirit does not make you slaves so that you have to live in fear again. 
Rather, the Spirit, the gift you receive, brought about your adoption into sonship. And then here's what Paul says. He says, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Paul basically says this. Hey, if you're a Christian, you can call God Abba. I mean, and it's so important to understand the context of that word. And even as we do that, please don't get ABBA uh, confused or mixed up with this Swedish band uh, that comes out of the 70s either. I mean, we're, we're not talking about this group uh, whatsoever. But seriously, you know, even Jesus, even Jesus, when he prayed, uh, when he prayed to the Father, he used the term ABBA. He used this Aramaic word ABBA. And the Apostle Paul reminds us that we can go to God, we can go to the Father, and we can call him ABBA too. And that word ABBA, is the most intimate word that could be used in any relationship for a father. And the cool thing about it is it doesn't mean father, it doesn't even mean dad, but it's daddy, it's papa. I mean, it's a term of, of endearment. And I mean, you see, this is the way that God wants you to see him and uh, to view your relationship with him. And he wants you to see that he is a compassionate and he is a loving father. And this was pretty revolutionary at the time. I mean, for Paul to say and suggest that we as Christians can call God Abba, because in the Old Testament, the Jews viewed God with such reverence and fear that they wouldn't even say his name or even write that name, for that matter, for fear of death. I mean, they held God at a distance and with great terror. I mean, it's what they had been taught. But Jesus changed all that. I mean, he's the everlasting father who was sent from God and he came to this earth so that you and I could see and know what God is like. I and mean, he showed us what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And, and he lived his life. Jesus lived his life and experienced the same temptation and the same heartbreak and the same chaos we face. And with his relationship with God the Father in heaven, he showed us that our God is loving and he's not distant and he's always present. And that's why, why words like these are so true in Psalm 34, 18, when we read that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. You know, maybe for you, you know, maybe your earthly father was distant or maybe he was so obsessed with work that he never had any time to play ball or come to a recital. Maybe he wasn't available to listen or didn't show affection well, but Jesus, our everlasting father, is not like that. He is loving he is close, and He is always present, and He's always available, ready to respond in any time of need. He is our compassionate and loving God. Isaiah said it like this, Isaiah 49, 13, he said, Sing for joy, O heavens, rejoice, O earth, burst into song, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted His people and will have compassion on them in their suffering. Man, what would it mean for you in your life to say that even in the chaos of my circumstances right now that this could be true? that the Lord, even in my suffering, he is ready to respond and he is compassionate and he is loving and he will comfort me, that he can comfort me even in this time of chaos and suffering. He is a loving God, our everlasting father. He's not distant. He's a God of compassion. Hey, do you ever get tired of trying to live up to expectations? Yeah. You know, maybe different expectations, expectations that you put on yourself, expectations uh, that people put on you. Um, I've got to be really honest. Uh, in this Christmas season, uh, my wife and I have to say that we're a little exhausted in trying to live up to some of the expectations that come with Christmas and specifically have everything to do with this guy. I don't know if you can see him in the back, but this is the elf on the shelf. How, how many of you are familiar with the elf on the shelf and, 
how this works. If you're not, just a quick lesson. Uh, this is a, a, a tradition that you can invite even into your home where uh, you get an elf of your own and, uh, well, what the elf does, uh, especially if there are any kids in the room, is uh, that the elf will find a new location, a new scene in your house every day. And so they wake up excited going to look for the elf. We've named our elf uh, Nikki. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, they're, they're just excited and you can't touch them. And so I kind of have special permission today to actually be able to touch uh, Nikki and special permission for my kids to even have him here uh, with us uh, this morning. But I got to say that we're a little tired, a little exhausted in trying to live up to the creativity uh, of some of you when it comes to, uh, well, where your elf ends up on any given morning. And if you are around Facebook or Instagram at all, you know what I'm talking about. You've seen the photos, you've seen the pictures of how the elf finds a different situation in a mom and dad's home or a grandma and grandpa's house. And so, well, we're having a hard time keeping up to that. And so I got to tell you that there was a, a blog that came out this week that I really resonated with. And uh, if any of you at all are familiar with John Acuff, he writes a blog entitled Stuff Christians Like. And uh, well, here's what he had to say this past week if you haven't seen this. He writes this open letter to all Elf on the Shelf people. And here's what he says. Dear perfect Elf on the Shelf people, stop it. Seriously, quit it. You're making the rest of us parents look horrible. It's only December 11th. And do you know what our Elf did last night? I'll show you. And uh, he provided a picture here. I know it's a little difficult to see, but it's an Elf in the freezer. He says, that's right, he's in a freezer. Why? Well, because when our Elf on the Shelf iPhone hide the self alarm went off, we were out of ideas. So let's pause for a second. That's right. We had to set him in this a stinking alarm to remind ourselves to hide these things. We are the worst parents in the world. He writes this, so Jenny Acuff, my wife and I decided, let's put him in the freezer. That's a thing. We'll make him hold a popsicle. That's whimsical or something, whatever. I think he's sitting here on a loaf of bread or maybe some ham. I don't care. The other day I hit him in a jar. Why? Well, because jars are easy for me to open. Don't judge me. You don't know my life. <laughs> he continues, then I get online and see photos of your elf. You've built a trapeze with the elf hanging from the roof of your house with some sort of homemade jetpack. The day after that, he's driven your car into the front yard and left some clever message spelled out with Skittles. He says, you're making the rest of the, us parents who hide the elf, elf in the Christmas tree nine times on December look bad. Plus, you're not showing all of your elf days online, just the greatest hits. And he goes, and don't tell me that you got that photo in one take either. You didn't. You took at least 10 photos of that scene. I guaranteed it. You tried five filters before you found the perfect one. Do you understand that? We've become elf on the shelf paparazzi. You also never show the after photo, the one where all the ants are all over your counter because you left a trail of powdered sugar footprints when the elf had a powdered sugar snowball fight with the teddy bear. And finally, he says, I think next year, Jenny and I are going to have to move houses because we've run out of ideas. This is our sixth year. If this is your first, I totally give you a free pass. Have at it. But if you and your spouse are holding brainstorming meetings in November for elf planning, we've got a problem. It's exhausting. Just knock it off. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed that. <laughs> expectations, right? I mean, we all live under these expectations. And for some people, maybe when you think about your home, maybe when you think about your childhood, uh, growing up in your house, I mean, for you, it was just the expectations that you were never able to measure up to your earthly father's uh, expectations. I mean, maybe, maybe this was most evident for you uh, in some inability to make the grades in school, or maybe the person you married, uh, or the way that you raise your children isn't enough 
Uh, maybe it's the career choice you've made or the major you chose. I mean, if any of this is true and you have found it difficult to live up to your father's expectations, well, then you know it's hard to be around your dad. And maybe you feel rejected by him. But our God's not like that. And, and he shows us, Jesus shows us that a third thing, that the everlasting father is affirming and not rejecting. You know, that word affirm means he declares, he proclaims, he promises and announces and guarantees that we belong to God. I mean, Scripture explains that as Christians, we've been adopted into God's family. And, and don't make mistake that adoption as some sort of second-class parenthood. Uh, because every family that I know that has ever adopted a child loves that child every bit as much as a biological child. In fact, well, there's something extra special, I think, even in that relationship in that the parent chose the child. I mean, think about it. I mean, the child never initiates adoption. It's always a willful act by the parent to pursue adoption. I mean, the child doesn't know that he or she needs adoption. It's the parent who decides to adopt. And I don't know what your story is today. I don't know your background or your past or what you come in here with. I mean, if you belong to the Lord, I mean, if you would say that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, I mean, then your story might go something like this. You know, I was looking for something. I knew that something was missing, and I was searching for God, and that may be true. But guess what? Way before you ever started searching for God, He was already searching for you. I mean, He was already pursuing you. And for some of you, you may think that you have fallen so far in your life and with your reputation that there is no way that God would ever want you. I mean, maybe even ask, why in the world would God ever choose me? Well, why? It's because he created you and he formed you and he loves you and he's been waiting for you. And I mean, if you're just here today and all you're thinking is, you know, I've just messed up, I've messed up over and over again and I'm not good enough and, and, and there's nothing that I can do for him in any way. Well, welcome to the family. Welcome to the club. I mean, none of us can. I mean, that's why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world because, you know, God wasn't content to watch us die as a result of the sin in the world. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world. I mean, he came to us. And so that we know this truth, we know this promise that when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches that you are adopted into God's family. I mean, from this point forward, from that moment forward, you can have this confidence in your life that the everlasting Father, that Jesus Christ, He stands with you and He stands for you and forever He declares your place in God's family. The Apostle Paul writes it like this in Ephesians 1.13. He says, we have been marked with a seal. Uh, that if you know Christ as Savior, if you belong to God's family, you've been marked with a seal. I mean, the seal means ownership. Uh, it's this guarantee. It's God's way of declaring that no matter what happens, no matter how far you fall, no matter how far you've wandered, you belong to him, and you can always come back to him. And, and boy, I, I hope that maybe for some of you, that's just everything that you needed to hear today. That again, no matter how far you've gone, no matter what you've done, you can always come back to the Father. That as a child of God, even if you've wandered, you can always come back. You are always a part of his family. And what do you find? I mean, we see and experience the final thing is that the everlasting Father is giving and not withholding. I mean, He holds nothing back. 
As a child of God, he has an inheritance waiting for you. The Apostle Paul says it like this in Romans 8, 17. He says, now if we are his children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And then he goes on to say, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. See, as Christians, we belong to him. We are part of his family. We are heirs with Christ. We are his children. Now, what's the inheritance he has for us? It's salvation and eternal life. Uh, it's the promise of his presence. No matter where we go, no matter where we find ourselves, and, and this inheritance, it comes from him. I mean, because of Christ's work on the cross and his death, we can be the recipients of this forgiveness and this eternal life. And one of the ways that we're reminded of this, one of the ways that we celebrate this inheritance uh, is through the Lord's Supper. Uh, it's through communion, and uh, it, it's so, through uh, communion, even communion, that we're reminded of how giving our everlasting Father really is. I mean, communion reminds us that Jesus gave, Christ gave his life on the cross so that we could have life. I mean, he went to the cross, and he died with his life so that we could experience forgiveness and join God's family. And there is no greater love in all the world than a love like that. Hey, in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to get up from your seats, and uh, we've got some tables in the back of the room and a couple of tables uh, in the front of the room, and I'm going to invite you to go to one of these tables and take a cup, and uh, you'll see that that's actually two cups. The juice is on the top, and the, the cracker is in the uh, cup in the bottom, and um, I'd just like to remind you that as you're here with us today, it doesn't matter uh, whether your church uh, is Genesis Church or maybe another church. If, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you've received him as your Lord and Savior, uh, we want to invite you to take communion with us. And, and, and if you're new to all of this, uh, we don't want you to feel like there's any expectation on you in any way. And so we want you to feel as comfortable as you are uh, just remaining in your seats. But uh, when we take communion, uh, we're reminded with the bread, the bread represents that his body uh, was broken for us. Uh, as we take the juice, we're reminded that his blood was shed for us uh, for the forgiveness of sins. And so uh, as you take communion today, what I'd like to invite you to do is just reflect on what it means that Jesus Christ came into this world as our everlasting father and to maybe see and believe and know and even wonder in your own life, what does it mean that he is compassionate? What does it mean that he is loving? What does it mean that he is giving, that he affirms our place in his family, that Jesus goes before God to say, this child belongs to me, and that he is all about giving, and that he wants to hold nothing back. And because that's who he is, I want you to see and know that he can be that hope in the chaos in your life, even right now, even today. And if you're not a Christian, um, I want to challenge you maybe just to use this time to think about what the everlasting Father uh, could mean for you in your life. And as you reflect on these truths today, that he is this compassionate, loving, affirming, and giving Father, don't overlook the fact that he gave his life for you. And whether or not you're here today and saying, and even able to say that I've been searching for him, to maybe even find comfort in those words that he has been searching for you, pursuing you, and if you feel him working in your life today, and it's almost as if he keeps saying, hey, inviting me, invite me in, invite me in. I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. Don't push back. Don't hold back any longer. Invite him in. Invite him into your life today. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we uh, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, into this world, our everlasting father. 
We thank you for all the things that we see in Jesus, uh, for this perfect reflection of who you are, Lord, this compassionate, loving, affirming, and giving God. God, I pray that we would know the hope and the promise that come with those words today, the encouragement with those words, and even as we share in communion as one church, as one family today, God, we pray and believe that your presence will be here with us, moving inside of us for all things. And for those that are here this morning, Lord, that don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray that their hearts would be open to the hope that we have in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.